This is episode number 303 with Dr. Neil Bernard. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. just wanted to slide on in here and talk to you about self-love. This is something that I really struggled with in my teens and in my early 20s. I didn't really know what self-love was. I didn't really know how to get it or anything like that. It wasn't until I had my big awakening in 2010 when literally my whole world flipped upside down And I ended up in hospital and I realized that the way I had been treating myself was the complete opposite to self-love. And in that moment, I created this thing called the self-love menu. And it's basically a menu of 10 things that I absolutely love that make me feel so full. Things like watching a sunrise or a sunset or sitting on the beach and then going for a swim in the ocean or reading a book with a beautiful, delicious, organic herbal tea or having an Epsom salt bath with essential oils. Little things like that that don't involve anyone else that just really fill me up. And so I created this self-love menu and it's really beautifully designed and I filled it out and I stuck it on my fridge and every day I did one thing from that list. And that is how I built my self-love. So I have created this self-love menu for you to do the same thing. It's totally free and I want to gift it to you because I think it's so important. It is so important to really build that self-love. So all you have to do is go to melissaambrosini.com forward slash self-love menu. That is it. And you can get your self-love menu for free. It's so beautiful. You can fill it out and stick it on your fridge. And I can't wait to see yours. So once you've done it, tag me on Instagram because I would love to see it. It's such an important thing that we all do is really build our self-love. So I can't wait to see what's on your self-love menu. Dr. Neil Bernard is a professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C., and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He has led numerous research studies investigating the effects of diet on diabetes, body weight, and chronic pain, including a groundbreaking study of dietary interventions in type 2 diabetes, 
funded by the National Institutes of Health that paved the way for viewing type 2 diabetes as a potentially reversible condition for many patients, which is so awesome. This is groundbreaking. He has authored more than 90 scientific publications and 20 books for medical and lay readers and is the editor-in-chief of The Nutrition Guide for Clinicians, a textbook made available to all medical students. As president of the Physicians Committee, he leads programs advocating for preventative medicine, good nutrition, and high ethical standards in research. His research contributed to the acceptance of plant-based diets in the dietary guidelines for Americans, which is huge, guys. In 2015, he was named the Fellow of the American College of Cardiology. In 2016, he founded the Bernard Medical Center in Washington, D.C. as a model for making nutrition a routine part of all medical care. This is revolutionary, guys. Working with the Medical Society of the District of Columbia and the American Medical Association, he has authored key resolutions now part of the AMA policy, calling for a new focus on prevention and nutrition in federal policies and in medical practices. In 2018, he received the Medical Society of the District of Columbia's Distinguished Service Award, and he has hosted four PBS television programs on nutrition and health. And in this episode, we chat about the life-changing experience that turned him vegan on the spot. This story is jaw-dropping. We also chat about the shocking truth about wet markets across the globe, the best foods to boost your immune system against any virus, including COVID-19. This is such fantastic information here. We also talk about the epic lifestyle advice to achieve peak health and strengthen your mindset, the hidden factors throwing your hormones out of whack and how to rebalance them fast, the common foods you must avoid if you want to bring your body back into balance. We also chat about PMS and painful periods, and he gives us all the foods that we need to avoid to stop having painful periods. Guys, this is amazing information. You're going to love it. And I wish I had have known this years and years ago. We also talk about how animal products could be affecting your fertility and how to ramp up your odds of falling pregnant. And we talk about the ideal foods for fertility and pregnancy to ensure you and your baby are as epically healthy as possible. Plus, we chat about so much more. He is a beautiful man, kind, humble. I cannot wait for you to listen. But before we dive in, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it's a five-star review from Katarina Bozzi. And it is called My Favorite Podcast and Such Amazing Meditations. And she says, hey, beautiful. I just wanted to say thank you for gifting us with your podcasts each week, each Monday and Thursday. I listen to every episode and always get so much from each one, even if I thought I wouldn't be interested in that topic. I listen to your anxiety easing meditation every morning when I wake up. I can't start my day without it. I love it. Can you pretty please record another 20-minute meditation? It would mean the world to me right now. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much, Katerina. I'm so grateful for that beautiful review. I can definitely 
do a 20-minute meditation. I have some on my IGTV, actually, which you might want to go and check out. And let me know what you think of that, darling. And thank you so much for your review. Send a screenshot into hello at Melissa Ambrosini and I will gift you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. And that goes for anyone who leaves me a review. Please send me in a screenshot and I will gift you a meditation. And if you want to get my Bursting With Love guided meditation, leave a review on Amazon for either Mastering Your Mango or Open Wide or both. And again, send me a screenshot and I will send that meditation over to you. Easy peasy. Right, let's dive in, guys, to this epic conversation with the incredible Dr. Neil Bernard. Neil, welcome to the show. I'm so grateful to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Sure. Although I'm supposed to say something normal, like a big bowl of of porridge oats or something like that and some veggie sausage. But actually, I didn't have either one of those. I started off with some grilled tofu. And then I had, believe it or not, some steamed broccoli with soy sauce and ginger. And then I finished it off with some sliced papaya. That's kind of my routine every day. Yum. I love papaya so much. It's so beautiful. Now, I first discovered you through my friend Simon Hill's podcast, Plant Proof, and I fell in love with your work and what you do. And my husband, Nick, has been following you for a while. But for someone who has never discovered you before, can you give us a little bit of a backstory on how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do? And I know this is a big question, but I'd love to hear how you got here. Sure. Well, I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm in Washington, D.C. right now. I'm on the faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine. But I have to say nothing that I ever did in my life prepared me for this work. I have a completely different background. I grew up in North Dakota in a town called Fargo. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but it's kind of cowboy country. And that's the way we ate, I have to say. But the year before I went to medical school, I had a job in a hospital And my job was to be the autopsy assistant, meaning if somebody died in the hospital, I would help the pathologist to examine the body and determine the cause of death. And so one day we had a man who died in the hospital of a massive heart attack. So the pathologist came in, here was the body, and he cut a huge chunk of ribs off the front of the chest, and he set the ribs on on the table, and that exposed the heart, which was filled with atherosclerotic plaque, and it looked terrible. And you could see why this killed him. And it was, for me, at that young age, extremely graphic to see. At the end of the exam, um, he left the room and I had to clean everything up. So I put the ribs back in the chest and I sewed up the skin and cleaned everything up. And I went up to the cafeteria where they were serving ribs for lunch. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I have to tell you, it it smelled like a dead body. It looked like a dead body. And I thought, you know, this is a dead body. <laughs> I couldn't, I, could, I, I didn't become a vegetarian on the spot, but I could not eat that. And I couldn't get the memory really out of my mind. And as time went on, I started learning more about all the other aspects of our diet choices, which relate to cancer risk and, and heart disease risk and diabetes risk and high blood pressure, plus the environmental size, plus, frankly, what the animals go through because I had spent the first half of my life busily shooting them with my 20-gauge shotgun, driving cows to slaughter and that sort of thing. And you discover that maybe there's a better adjustment that we can get into. Wow. Okay. So how old were you when you had that experience in the cafeteria? Uh, About 21. Wow. 
Wow. You actually just reminded me of when I was little. I remember I went to the butcher with my mum and I've been plant-based only for about a year and a bit now. And I went to the butcher when I was little with my mom and I was eating something and there was a guy on the other side of the glass cabinet and he was kind of mincing the mince with his hand like this. And I remember eating, watching him, and I just vomited, projectile vomited. (laughs) (laughs) I projectile vomited all down the glass and my mom was mortified. (laughs) And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about my daughter. And she had to like pick me up, take me out to the car park and I just kept on vomiting. So there obviously is something going on there. Like, you know, our bodies have a reaction to that. And yours definitely did when you went up to that cafeteria. So that's really fascinating. Well, may I say your expression was probably the most honest expression that they have ever had at that that particular place. And I'm sure he profited from it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So... There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there right now regarding coronavirus, which I want to talk to you about. And there's a lot of scientific theories, but I want to hear what do you think? Like, how do you think it started? What's your thoughts on coronavirus? And is it as dangerous as everyone is making it out to be? Yes, I think it is dangerous. I strongly suspect it did begin in a live animal market. Now, there, there's, there are other theories about that that I'm not in a position to dispute, but but animals do carry a wide variety of viruses, including coronaviruses, and they spread them. And, and a wet market or a live animal market is the perfect breeding ground for it. You mix multiple species, the virus, and, and, and the cages are stacked one on top of the other. So you've got a bat in a cage on top of a rabbit, on top of a chicken, on top of a duck, and the feces will go from one to the other. Viruses will spread from one species to another. And eventually they can spread to the human beings who are there cutting them up or selling them or caging them or watering them or whatever. And when the virus goes from species to species, two things happen. First of all, they become more dangerous. Sometimes they become less dangerous, but the, the, the pathogenicity of it will change. And with COVID-19, it obviously became very dangerous. The second thing is the transmissibility of it will change. People pick up viruses from animals not infrequently but usually the virus just dies out. With COVID-19, that didn't happen. It crossed the species divide and it was not only more dangerous, it was also more transmissible so that you could give it to another person. Now, all of that said, as things go, the vast majority of people who acquire it are not even gonna have a very serious illness. However, some will and some are going to die, but I have to say that the nutritional side of this has two faces. One is the live animal markets are just an incubator asking for this. And we have them here in the United States. They look different than the ones in China or uh, other Asian countries, but we have them. We have quite a few. The second part of nutrition is that the difference between catching the virus and getting over it versus catching the virus and dying is these underlying conditions. If you are obese, if you have diabetes, if you have hypertension, if you have asthma, in all of these cases, you are much more likely to end up in the intensive care unit on ventilation or to die. And these are not just things you're born with. These are states that can change. So if my blood pressure is up, I can bring it down. If my diabetes is back control, I can improve it. And the key to that is what we eat. And that's where a plant-based diet comes in because it is the best artillery to knock out those underlying conditions that make you vulnerable to it. Yes, let's talk about that. Let's talk about 
the diet, and even some of the lifestyle factors that can really contribute to boosting our immune system and protecting us from not just this virus, but any virus. So what are like some of the common foods that we can add into our life and then also some of the lifestyle choices that we could also add into our life to really boost our immune system and protect us? Great. First of all, just a couple of of generalities. When people eat fruits and vegetables in general, for whatever reason, their immunity does seem to be stronger. By when I say immunity, I mean your white blood cells. So you, t- you draw a blood sample. The red blood cells are just there to carry oxygen. But in and amongst them, the white blood cells are the soldiers. They're the security guards. They are the ones looking for a virus. And when they find them, they, their job is to knock that virus out. Like all soldiers, they don't necessarily get the very best rations. But if you give them lots of vegetables and fruits, they work better. If you give them a lot of grease, they don't work so well. And you should see the way these research studies have been done. Researchers will give people fatty diets, and then they'll draw a blood sample, and they'll isolate the white blood cells, and they'll look at the the, the cell's ability to knock out an invader. Or they'll, they'll sometimes drip fat into a person's vein. It sounds kind of gross, but they'll do this in research studies. And they discover that the fat, as the fat goes in, the immunity goes down, or they'll do it in a test tube. But bottom line, fruits and vegetables are good. Grease is bad. Then if a person eats a a fatty diet or a meaty diet, like I ate growing up, and you gain weight, obesity puts people at risk for infections in general. And then there are certain specific foods that seem to be, I'm going to say beneficial. Many of them are under study, but to just run down the list really quickly, beta carotene rich foods seem to be good. Those are the orange ones, carrots, sweet potatoes. Uh, They seem to be beneficial. Vitamin C rich foods. That's not just the citrus fruits like like oranges, but many vegetables have vitamin C also. Taking vitamin C that you get at the pharmacy is also probably going to help. The research is a little bit on both sides on this, but generally speaking, it does seem to reduce the risk of infection some. Garlic has jumped out. And I have to say, I'm a gar- I, I, I have been a garlic skeptic. I thought, ah, all these people who think garlic is going to you know, cure everything, it purifies your blood. I thought, that's a bunch of nonsense. You're just a person who happens to love Italian cuisine. However, there was actually a pretty good study came out of the United Kingdom and they brought a whole bunch of people right during flu season or, you know, cold season during the the cold months. And over a 12 week period, some of the people got little capsules with garlic extract in them and others got capsules that looked the same, but were dummy pills. They didn't have anything in them. They're just a placebo. And it was astounding that people who got the garlic cut the risk of colds by about two thirds. And then you looked at how many sick days did you have so that you were so sick you couldn't go to work. And that was cut dramatically too, again, by about the same number. Now, the downside of the, the study, the study was funded by a garlic center that wants to sell these supplements. <laughs> and that's, I got to tell you, that's a big problem you have in this whole area. The blueberry studies are funded by the blueberry industry. I'm going to give a little bit of a pass to this garlic study because even though it was funded by people with an economic interest in it, It was a very well done study and it was a randomized trial and it was really quite large. So if I had to bet, I'm going to say that it's not a bad idea at the end of this broadcast to go and saute up some garlic and put it on some bread and shove it down your gullet. It'll probably help you. Okay. What else? So we've got some fruits and vegetables, beta carotene, garlic. What else? Yeah. And and vitamin C is, is certainly a good thing. People are looking at whether mint might be helpful and whether onions might be helpful. Onions, keep in mind, they're a relative of garlic. So that whole group is from garlic to onions, to shallots, to scallions. They all seem to be helpful perhaps in their own ways. 
So those are a few things. Uh, Let me mention just a couple of really obvious things. COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. Don't smoke. Some people think, wait a minute, if I smoke, it's going to kill the virus. No, it doesn't work that way. What it does is it makes your lungs weaker. And people have not really been studying vaping and viral diseases. But from what I would guess, right now, about one in every seven adolescents is busily vaping. And my guess is that it irritates the bronchi and lungs as well. And we're better off not doing that either. Ooh, that's really such an important thing to bring up because, yeah, vaping has become incredibly popular today. So that's a really important thing to bring up. So yeah, thank you for that. What other lifestyle factors or any other foods would you recommend to really boost our health? A couple of things that, that are, are, are mixed. The question of alcohol comes up a lot. And does, does alcohol help knock out this virus? And I got to say, alcohol works externally. So if you've got some, some virus on your hands and you wash it uh, with some rubbing alcohol, it will definitely kill it. But if you drink alcohol, it doesn't seem to help. And I'm sorry to say that much as everyone loves a party, alcohol does have some downsides. It increases breast cancer risk and colon cancer risk in a stepwise direction. Let me mention lacing up your sneakers. If you exercise, it does seem to help. But a lot of people wonder what exercise will do for their immunity. And many people have the idea that exercise might actually hurt their immunity because let's face it, you're pounding your body, you're really working it hard, and you feel exhausted and you feel like you need to rest afterwards. So people have thought exercise must harm their immunity. Bolstering that position are some studies from quite a number of years ago showing that when people are real serious exercisers and they exercise a lot, they might actually seem to have somewhat more colds than other people. However, I have a little different theory. I am suspecting that exercise overall is good for immunity. And the reason I say that is it makes your body temperature go up and an elevated body temperature makes viruses unable to thrive. That's the reason your body mounts a fever. When you get an infection, your body mounts a fever. That's that's not the the virus making a fever. That's your body's reaction because viruses can only live in a narrow temperature band. Um, So fever is good. So why do people who run in some cases get more colds than other people? I think it's because they go out underdressed. They go out and it's a cold winter morning and they say, I'm going to warm up in about 20 minutes. But for the first 15 or 20 minutes of their run, they are freezing. And then by the time they get home, they're hot and sweaty. But my advice to runners is stay warm the whole time. Wear a jacket if it's a cold morning and take the jacket off halfway through your run if you need to. Don't let your body get chilled. Now, I know that sounds like very grandmotherly advice, but I think it's, it is a good idea to avoid uh, a chill. Yes. So many great things that we can be doing. So many great foods and lifestyle factors that we can all implement. And it's simple stuff. Like it's not rocket science. It's very simple, basic stuff that if we just started to add more of those foods into our diet and then, you know, added some of those lifestyle factors in and then maybe removed some of them like the vaping and the smoking, it can really take our health to the next level. So thank you for sharing those. And I totally agree. Another thing that I really personally am a big believer in is meditation and stress reduction. So doing whatever you can to really ease your stress. I know personally for me, that has made such a big difference. And also another one for me is getting out into nature. So spending as much time in Australia where I am, we're allowed to still go for walks which is beautiful. So spending as much time in nature is really great for my immune system and my mental health as well. So try doing some of those things also. You know, one thing about getting out in nature, 
I think you're absolutely right. You're breathing clean air. You're seeing things that, that help to stress you. And when a person's out in nature and had a beautiful walk, you are much less likely to want to race home and have uh, a big bowl of ice cream and a beer. When you've had a, a nice, satisfying experience like that, you want to take better care of yourself. There's one other thing. On a nice, sunny day, the sunlight on your skin makes vitamin D. And vitamin D is also an immune booster as well. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like very lucky to live in Australia. We have beautiful weather, especially where I am. It's it's really beautiful still. It's gorgeous weather. So getting out into that is just the best soul medicine for me. Okay, let's switch gears now. Let's talk about your latest book, Body Imbalance. You talk a lot about hormones and I love this topic. I've had so many people on the show talk about hormones I want to hear your perspective on them because I know that when your hormones are all humming along really beautifully, you're going to be healthier. You're going to be more happy. So, I mean, we know the things that, well, maybe people don't know the things that imbalance their hormones. So maybe we can talk about what are the things that are causing them to be out of balance and then how can we get them back into balance so that we are operating as the best, happiest and healthiest version of ourselves. Well, I have to say, for me, this started completely accidentally. I was sitting here at my desk and the phone rang, and it was a young woman who said, Dr. Barnard, I can't get out of bed. She had menstrual cramps. Now, for maybe one in 10 women, cramps every month are bad enough that you're not going to work that day. And that was her situation. I said, well, I can give you some painkillers for a couple of days. But I started thinking, what, what can we do so that this doesn't happen again next month and the month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that? But I, as she was describing her experience, I suddenly remembered that years ago, researchers had looked at breast cancer patients. And let, bear with me, because I want to show you the connection. We've known for a long time that breast cancer is fueled by estrogens, the female sex hormones. That They're made in the ovaries. They go in the bloodstream and they reach the uterus, they reach the ovaries, they reach the breast. These estrogens will fuel the growth of cancer cells. So many years ago, researchers brought women into laboratories to try to figure out how to reduce the amount of estrogen in their blood. And they found that high fiber foods will reduce estrogen. I'm talking about beans and vegetables, plant-based foods, whereas fatty foods do the opposite. They increase estrogen. So the woman is describing her cramps. And I thought, well, what are cramps? Cramps means that inside the uterus, the inner lining of the uterus, every month it's thickening up in anticipation of pregnancy. You know, the uterus is the most optimistic organ in the body. Every month it's convinced we're going to get pregnant for sure. So that the lining thickens up every month in anticipation of pregnancy. But then maybe toward the end of the month, the disappointed uterus discovers we're not pregnant after all, and it sheds that whole uterine lining in menstrual flow. Here's the deal. If you have extra estrogen in your blood, for whatever reason, then it thickens up that lining too much and it causes big exaggerated cramps at the end of the month. So I suggested to her, I said, let's do an experiment. Would you like to? Let me give you some painkillers to get you through now. But for the next month, how about this? No animal products at all. That means I, you, I'm going to make you a vegan because now everything you eat is going to be a plant. Everything you eat will have fiber in it to reduce your estrogens. And I said, also, I want you to keep oils to a bare minimum. So not a lot of fried stuff. And she said, I'll try it. And she called me back a month later and it was a miraculous cure. And she didn't have cramps anymore unless she deviated from the diet. So anyway, I did a research study with a large group of women who had the same problem with our colleagues at Georgetown University's School of Medicine. And it works. 
And so the bottom line is that when you change your diet, you can reduce the amount of estrogen. But let me tell you a quick funny story. In the course of this study, we asked all of the women participants not to take estrogens or any kind of hormone pills because that would confuse the study. And so that meant if they were on birth control pills, since those are hormones, we said, if you're sexually active, use some other method, if, if you would. So one of the women in the study said, Dr. Barnard, you don't have to worry about me. I'm infertile. She said, my, my husband and I were evaluated years ago. Why couldn't we have a, a baby? It's not him. He's fine. It's just me. I never ovulate. So it's, I'm infertile. So we don't use any, we don't use a pill or anything. Don't worry. I don't take any, any, any pills. The second month that she was on this healthy, vegan, low-fat diet, she came into the center. And she said, Dr. Barnard, I've got some bad news and some good news. And I said, well, what is it? She said, I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. The bad news was she was leaving the study. The good news is she was pregnant, which she'd hoped to be for years and had given up hope. And then anyway, years ago, about maybe, oh, I don't know, six or eight years later, I ran into her. She came to a lecture I gave. She had three children. And so here's, here's my point. The first patient had a diagnosis of dysmenorrhea on her chart. The second in individual had a diagnosis of infertility. And there are others who have diagnoses of endometriosis or PCOS or many other things. And what I want to do is take a pencil eraser and just erase all those diagnoses and say, your body is not in balance. And that's understandable because no one has ever explained. You sit down with a doctor and they don't say, well, here's how estrogens are getting out of balance in you and let's get them back into balance. They don't do that. They say, here's a pill. Here's a painkiller. If that doesn't work, I'll put you on a hormone balancing drug or whatever. And the doctors don't know how the foods get your body in balance. So anyway, the whole reason I wrote this book is I got so excited about the things that we could do. It's, it's not perfect, but it helps so many people. So I want to talk about estrogens and testosterone and, and insulin for people who are teetering on the edge of diabetes. We can bring you back depending on what you eat or, or a person who's got thyroid disease. Their thyroid is really sluggish. So they're feeling dumpy and, and, and their hair doesn't look right. And their skin is, doesn't feel right. And they're gaining weight. All of these things have their roots in foods to one degree or another. And the most exciting thing in the world is to learn how the process goes, plug it into your life and you're, you reach a whole new level of health. It's really quite amazing how just changing your diet and lifestyle can bring your body back into balance. You know, these diagnosis of infertility, of diabetes, of thyroid issues. And I know for a lot of women as well, once you get that diagnosis, it puts so much fear into their body. And not only that, disappointment. Then it's this big label that they plaster across their forehead. Well, I'm infertile or I'm, you know, I've got PCOS. And then they carry that around like that example of that woman that you just shared. But there is another way. And like you said, it's like, let's look at the diet. Let's look at the lifestyle factors and then let's make some tweaks and then reassess. So I love that. But you know, the problem is sometimes these are foods that we love. It's a little bit like a bad love affair. You know, we, we, we may love cheddar cheese, but it doesn't love us back. I'll give you an example. Another young woman I described in, in, in Your Body and Balance, her name is Catherine. She was in the U.S. Air Force. In fact, she was over in Iraq back a number of years ago. And when she got back to the U.S., after her tour of duty was finished, her friends said, okay, Catherine, 
what did you miss when you were overseas? She said, you know, we never had, we never had macaroni and cheese. We never had you know, cheese sandwiches and things. So they, they made up for lost time. She started digging into all these cheesy things. Well, she gained a lot of weight and she developed a lot of pain in her abdomen, which eventually turned out to be a condition called endometriosis. And endometriosis is a condition where the cells that are lining the uterus on the inside of the uterus, they seem to have escaped through the fallopian tubes out into the abdomen. And they're now implanting all around the abdomen and they swell and they bleed and they cause scarring and they hurt like crazy. And that was her situation. So not, not only was she in pain, but endometriosis very often damages the ovaries and even the fallopian tubes and it leads to infertility. So she's talking to her doctor and she's saying, the painkillers you're giving me aren't helping me. She, she couldn't function with this terrible pain she had. It, what she didn't realize is that the endometrial tissue was now strangling her intestinal tract and it was, it was causing adhesions all over her abdomen and bleeding. And she, she said, the painkillers aren't working. You're giving me hormonal treatments. That's not working. The doctor said, well, I got one other thing. We'll do a hysterectomy. And she said, well, I'm, I, well, she was 27 years old and she and her husband were newlyweds and she was reluctant to do it. But the doctor said, look, endometriosis is a, is a bad disease. You're infertile anyway, as a result of the disease process, almost certainly this procedure will make you feel better. So she reluctantly agreed. She had six weeks before the operation. And during those six weeks, she went to see a nutritionist who said, what are you eating? Take all this cheese out of your diet. In fact, the, 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 the nutritionist gave her ex pretty much exactly our menstrual pain diet, which was two things, no animal products, basically no added oils, really low in fat. And she started feeling better, not perfect, but she was feeling better and better and better, but very dutiful person. She, she showed up to the operating room on the appointed day and they anesthetized her and the doctor took a look into her abdomen. About an hour later, she woke up in the recovery room and the doctor was there and he said, Catherine, I've got to tell you something. I didn't do the hysterectomy. You still got, you still have your uterus. I opened you up and your endometriosis is practically gone. You have a lot of scarring from where it used to be. I could see where the scarring caused adhesions and that was the pain you were having now, but the endometriosis seems to have gone away. Anyway, her mother's in the recovery room with her and her mother says, well, she went vegan. And the, the doctor said, stop it. That's, that's nothing to do with it. Endometriosis has nothing to do with what you eat and, go, and a vegan diet and no other diet is going to make it go away. This has to be a miracle. So the doctor tried to convince them that this was a miraculous cure. Now, I got to say, good on that doctor for one thing. You know, some doctors would have gone ahead and done the hysterectomy. This doctor did not do that. So good on him for that. But what he didn't recognize is that endometriosis is driven by estrogens. And here's the point. Here's what I want to come, come back to. I mentioned cheddar cheese, American cheese, brie, camembert, all of these cheeses come from milk, which came out of a cow who was pregnant during much of the time. Cows are artificially inseminated by, frankly, a very creepy procedure, which is enough to make you not want to drink milk anymore. But they're, they're impregnated every year. They're pregnant for about nine months. So nine months out of 12, that's their gestational period, and they're milked during much of their pregnancy. A pregnant cow makes estrogens. And so every bite of cheese that you're consuming, you're swallowing estrogens from a cow that happened to be a match for yours, and they hit the endometriosis cells and they make them grow. 
So she had no idea. She just loved mac and cheese. And little did she know that this was causing the problem. So anyway, it's a bad love affair. People, they they do love cheese. It may smell like old socks, but people do adore it. But the fact of the matter is that breaking up with a bad love affair, good idea. And cheese is just something that doesn't love you back. Yes. I didn't grow up on an excellent diet. I, I grew up in a very standard American and standard Australian diet. Although when I was really little, my mom took me off all dairy because she saw that it was flaring up my eczema. So even though I was still eating sugar and I was still eating artificial colors and flavors and gluten and all of those sorts of things, she just removed dairy from my diet. So I honestly have not had dairy for most of my life and I don't miss it. Did it help? Yeah, it definitely helped. It cleared up my eczema, completely cleared it up, which is amazing. So, and she'd noticed that if I would go to a party and there was something with dairy and I'd come home and I'd have eczema on my body again. So she made that connection, which was really great. What a good mom. I know. She is a good mom. But I was still eating lollies and (laughs) chips and candies and all those sorts of things and and sodas and stuff. But she made that connection, which is great. And, you know, for me, I love that story. I love that story so much. That's such a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing it about that young girl. It's really, really powerful. So one thing that we can all do, I remember also... Someone telling me when I went to McDonald's when I was little, I would get like the the Sundays, you know, the ice cream Sundays. And someone said to me, "Do you know that's cow pus?" And I was like, <laughs> "Cow pus?" I was like, "What do you mean?" So I've never really been into dairy, even though like I've never been a cheese and that sort of person that just loves cheese platters and stuff and ice cream. I've never really been into it. But I've never forgotten that when someone said cow pus, I was like, oh, (laughs) gross, it's disgusting. Creepy. It's so creepy. So one thing that we can all do is remove the dairy from our diet and, and just try it and see how your symptoms are. It's a great thing to do. And then also start to eat more of a plant based diet. I am curious though, you have spoken a few times now about fat. I thought that, you know, for hormones and things like that, we needed a little bit of avocado or we need a little bit of fat from nuts and seeds. What is your take on fat from whole food, plant-based sources? Well, if you're having those things and you feel fine, it's probably all right uh, for you. However, in research studies, what, what people have generally found is that fatty foods, probably from any source, will elevate estrogen levels a little bit. And also, let's say you're a person who's got pretty bad cramps. And if you're following the diet that I'm describing, totally vegan, but also really low in fat, you can test it out. You can take a month, start when after your period is finished. Then for the rest of the month, go ahead and have guacamole and peanut butter and fatty foods. You can keep it vegan, but you can include fatty foods and see how you feel at the end of the month. If it makes your cramps come back, then go back and go low fat. A lot of people discover that it makes them hurt. And I know that's that's really sad because guacamole is delicious. And avocados are lovely, but there are a lot of folks who don't do very well with with those fats. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, so uh, that's a great experiment that you can do with yourself. I mean, I don't have a very high fat diet, but I do have avocado and nuts and seeds and things like that. So yeah, it's a good experiment to do with yourself just to see how your body responds. Yeah, and, and, and if it's a menstrual issue, then then the time to do it is wait till a period has started. 
that's the beginning of the new cycle. If you're doing it just right at the very end, you really won't know. So you, you go from the, the beginning of one period to the beginning of the next. Day one. Yeah, exactly. Day one to the following day one and just see. Okay. That's a great experiment. And, 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 by the, and by the same token, if you're trying to make your cramps go away, starting on day one, get the fat out of your diet, to make it totally vegan. If you go vegan for the three days before your period, too late. You know, you, the, the, the endometrial thickening is starting way before that point. Yes. Great idea. Try it from day one to day one and just report, like do your own detective work and see how you feel. But, you know, I have a lot of women who are, you know, between 20 and 40, that age bracket that, that listen to this show and that follow my work. And they're getting to that stage where they're thinking about having children. There's a lot of people out there that talk about you need bone broth and fat and salmon and eggs and animal products to get pregnant. So I want to hear your perspective on this. I would say quite the opposite. A researcher named Dan Kramer at Harvard noticed something quite interesting. He looked at different countries and looked at their diets and looked at uh, maintenance of fertility. Here's what he was focusing on. Women start to lose some fertility from about, I'm going to say, late 20s to their late 30s you'll see a, a drop off in fertility. So let's say, let's say you're 25, 26, and you think, well, I may be maximally fertile right now, but I don't want to have a baby right now. I'm in school or I'm, in, I'm starting my career. I'll put that off later. And then when you're about 35, your mother calls you and says, sweetheart, you know, your, your clock is ticking. You know, it gets harder and harder when you get older and da, 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 da. Okay, right, fine. So anyhow, Dr. Kramer looked at first Thailand. Thailand has a, a drop in fertility between the late 20s and the late 30s, and it's women, a, a drop of maybe about 25%. Then you look at, say, Brazil, a drop of about 50%. The United States, a drop of about 80%. I'm talking about a woman going from her late 20s through her late 30s has a drop of about 80% in her fertility. And then you fill in all the other countries and they follow that pattern. What's the difference? In Thailand, people don't eat ice cream and cheese, pizza, and things, at least not traditionally. It's more of a plant-based diet and not a big dairy culture. In the United States, it's dairy all over the place. And it, it appears that the more dairy people eat, the more they lose their fertility. Why? In this particular case, I don't think it's the estrogens. There's another thing in dairy to think about. The milk, sugar, lactose, Lactose breaks. Lactose is, is a sugar. It's a double sugar. It's made of glucose and galactose, and they're hooked together. And then in your digestive tract, they break apart, and the galactose is toxic to the ovary. It's related to ovarian cancer, and it's related to infertility. Now, we need more research on all of this, but we believe that that explains why dairy in countries lose fertility fast in adulthood. So if you want to be fertile, I think a, a useful model is look in Asian countries where they have to have laws about how many kids you can have. I'm talking about China and so forth. I'm not recommending that kind of thing. What I'm saying is they have had historically a diet that was drawn mostly from plants, very little dairy, not a lot of fat. And then of course, now that's changing as China has become more economically prosperous. The fat content of the diet is going up and meat is going up and dairy is coming in. And every problem is, medical problem is coming in in a big way. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So what about things like they say, you know, I've heard a podcast where someone said you need bone broth and you need animal flesh to build blood. 
Because I know that obviously you're building a human, say, inside you, right? You're building a human. The human is only this big, though, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little pea. This is not the Incredible Hulk inside you. Yes, you're eating for two. One of you is really, really small. Yeah, I, I know there are these naive ideas, you know. And in fact, I, my heart breaks for any woman who is expecting because you get all kinds of unsolicited advice from people. And sometimes you're related to these people. Other times you're not. You're just on the elevator and they, they start to, you know, you know, like, shut up already. You know, yeah. they, they give you all, really? Okay. You do not need bone broth. You're better off without it. What you do need are the following. You need four healthy food groups. Those are vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans. You do need vitamin B12. That's not optional. You need vitamin B12. And it's in, it's in some foods are fortified with it, but if you're on a vegan diet, go to the store and get a B12 supplement. Or better still, if you are expecting, talk with your own physician and get the prenatal vitamins that your doctor wants you to take and take those. But no, there is no requirement for animal products at all. In fact, years ago, there was a very large study of vegan pregnancies and women do dramatically better in several ways. First of all, they have fewer complications. Uh, second of all, less nausea morning sickness, less common to occur on a completely healthy, very low-fat, healthy vegan diet. Now, now it's, it's not a zero-fat diet. There's traces of fats, even in vegetables and fruits and so forth. But eat those four groups, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, do take your B12 and any prenatal vitamins your doctor wants you to have. Yes. I love that. Thank you. One of my best friends, she's pregnant at the moment and she is plant-based. And so I was researching with her and talking to her about it talking about blood building. You know, we were looking at some Chinese medicine and looking at, well, okay, there's a lot of people that say you need bone broth to build the blood and you need animal product to build the blood. And so we were like, okay, well, what are the plant-based options? And do you know what the number one thing came up? It was grains like oats and things like that. And then the, the other thing that was really fascinating, it was like stewed fruits is really blood building and good for the spleen, which I found really fascinating. So there are all these other things that you can do that are really great to just build your spleen and build your blood up that you can do whilst you're trying to get pregnant and then during your pregnancy. Let me make a pitch for green leafy vegetables also. If a person is drinking bone broth, what bone are we talking about? Did it come from a cow or a bull or a pig? A, a, a cow is a, is a vegan. And so the cow built her bones, a bull built his bones not from eating other cows, but from eating green leafy vegetables. They would call it grass, maybe corn, and hopefully you're not eating grass, but there's plenty of other perfectly delectable green leafy vegetables for you, whether it's broccoli or Brussels sprouts or kale and collards and all these things. And they have calcium, they have iron, lots of it. In fact, if you're eating a lot of green leafy vegetables, your iron intake is probably higher than that of a meat eater. And I know that sounds improbable. It's true. Uh, research studies have looked at vegans, and if they're eating lots of green leafy vegetables, they get a lot of iron. Now, it's uh, what's called non-heme iron, which its absorption is different from iron from, say, meat. The absorption is lower if your body needs less iron, but the absorption is higher if your body needs more iron. It's the kind of iron that your body can really work with. So have plenty of green leafy vegetables. You're going to do fine, probably. Yeah, skip the bone broth. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll link to your book in the show notes because I think it's such an incredible book for everyone to read, to really 
have a better and deeper understanding of our hormones because they are so important, so important. And I've spoken about this on the show so many times about what the contraceptive pill does. And and I was on it for so many years, not knowing. I didn't know. I went on it when I was 18. And we really do need to know how to balance our hormones and and how and things that we can do to really make sure our entire system is just thriving. One last thing I, sh- I do want to brag about, if you don't mind, this is the book, Your Body in Balance. And the thing I want to brag about is the recipes, because I didn't do them. They were done by Lindsay S. Nixon, who's the happy herbivore. And she sent me 65 recipes that go in the book. But when she sent them to me, she sent me a note that said, Dr. Barnard, I hope you like the recipes. They're easy. They're delicious. They're, they're, they're quick to make. But she said, the way of eating that you describe in the book cured my menstrual cramps too. So I thought, okay, that's validation. Wow. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to make some of the recipes. I'm so excited. They sound delicious. Okay. So I have a question besides your books. What is one other book that you would choose to go in the school curriculum of every high school around the world? Let's presume yours are already in the curriculum because they absolutely should be. What is one other book you would choose? It doesn't have to be health-related. It could be spiritual or business. It could be anything, just a book that's really impacted your life. I mean, there are, there are millions of books, and I don't think I could pick a favorite, but I would encourage people to just find a voice that, that speaks to them. I mean, some people will read Dr. Ornish's books if they have heart disease, or Dr. Esselstyn has written very eloquently. Dr. John McDougall has done brilliantly on this, Rip Esselstyn as well. Uh, Michael Greger has some books that are really fun to read and, and give lots of detailed science. There are many, many others. My feeling is, have a look, go to the library, put a whole bunch of them on the floor, sit down in the middle of them, find a voice that speaks to you, pick up that one. Yeah, beautiful. And we'll link to all of those incredible doctors that you just mentioned as well in the show notes so people can check them out. I've got lots of Michael Greger's books. I love them and the recipes in there are so good. Delicious. Okay. So I would love to hear now, how do you prime yourself for the day? Can you kind of walk us through? I love hearing about how incredibly successful people start their day and if they have a morning routine. Can you kind of talk us through some of your success principles? Well, I I wouldn't presume to call myself a successful person. I mean, we keep working at these things. I guess uh, we've certainly done quite a few things over time, but I get up early every day and I also go to sleep early as well. I guess that's kind of, isn't that some old truism that you're supposed to be early to bed, early to rise? Well, I actually do that. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) So 10 o'clock at night, I go to sleep. I just always do. Even if my work isn't done and if I get up early the next morning, I always do better. I always have breakfast. I'm an impatient person, so I don't cook anything, especially gourmet, but I always make sure I have a good fresh breakfast and never skip meals. And I take time for some hobbies that I'm into as well to, not that I never ever have quite enough time for those things, but there are certain things that I do to chill. Beautiful. And then what is your day on a plate kind of look like? Will you have any snacks between lunch? And then what will you eat for lunch? And then do you have any afternoon snacks? And what's like a typical day on your plate? I know no two days are ever the same. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, it's never quite the same, but a typical thing for me, lunch is quite often a Mexican style. Lunch uh, it would be, uh, be uh, like a bean burrito with some jalapenos. Jalapenos are filled with vitamin J, as you know, wink. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. There's no such thing as vitamin J. Okay. That to me is maybe a little bit of a heavier meal. 
And so for dinner, I like it lighter. I might often have some like vegetarian sushi, like a cucumber roll or asparagus roll or sweet potato roll and miso soup and things like that. Um, if I went out, it would probably be Italian or Chinese or something. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. Okay. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'll do my best. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that everyone can start today. I guess if I say throw out the animal products, um, that might sound a lot. But what I would do is I would just make a date with yourself to schedule a three-week test drive of not eating animal products and get ready for it and just see how it goes without any long-term commitment at all. Beautiful. I love that. So easy to do. And yeah, I'm excited for everyone to try it. Okay, next one. What is one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. I have to say, I think it's important to recognize that life is short and life is fragile. And many people struggle just to get through the day and the animals around us are struggling in their own way. So I think the most, the the thing that we can do to enrich ourselves the most is to be generous to others. I think there's no substitute for that and you'll get back far more than you give away. Mm, absolutely. Beautiful. And what's one thing that we can do for more love in our life? I think it really helps to try. Um, as a person who, who doesn't feel like a wizard on any of these things, but I, I found that it really helps enormously to try very much to put yourself in another person's shoes. Even a person who is being angry or seemingly petty or whatever. You, I often try to understand how they got in that situation. I remember once I was, I was at a, a restaurant and the um, person serving me was really just rude and annoying. And, and I could see <laughs> another table, they got into it with her. And it was like, why couldn't you, you know, be more polite or whatever? And if she came over to me like, what are you going to have? And I said, I'll bet you're feeling pretty stressed right now. And in other words, I didn't get into it with her. I was just trying to imagine what she was feeling. And she said, you know, I said, I, I bet you're feeling really stressed. She said, you said it. Let me tell you what I've been dealing with. And she just kind of unburdened and she became this really nice kind of a human being. So I thought, anyway, rather than let her push my buttons, I was trying to just get into her shoes a little bit. That's not easy to do, but in turn, you allow that other person to become who they really are. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. So nice. Thank you for sharing that. They're great tips and things that we can all do today. So I love that so much. This has been so informative and really powerful so far. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to ask you about? I'll tell you a little fun thing. When I was a little kid growing up in Fargo, my parents thought that any civilized person ought to play musical instruments. And so I did not like classical music, but I was forced to practice the piano and the cello and all that kind of stuff. And so I carried music with me all the way through into my adulthood. And so to this day, I actually have a band and it has a function that can serve in a useful way. There are some people you can reach through their head. There are other people that you can reach through their heart. And there's, if you go on to YouTube and you look up Carbon Works, it's my band. And it has the world's greatest musicians in it. And some of the songs have animal images in them. And they'll, I, my hope is that they'll melt your heart. Oh my gosh. That is, I was not expecting you to say that at all. My husband is a musician and music for him is just 
Like, oh, it's so good. And I used to play the piano when I was little and I've been saying to him, I want to get back into it and I just haven't done it. So you've definitely inspired me to get back into it. So thank you for that. Great, we'll have a look. Yeah, I will definitely. We'll link to it in the show notes as well, for sure. This has been so informative. This has been incredible. Thank you so much, Neil, for all of your wisdom, for all the work that you do in the world. We are truly grateful. We will link to everything in the show notes. My last question is, you give so much. You are of service to so many people. You help so many people. And I'm a big believer in service. So I want to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. How can we give back to you? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And the thing that I'm particularly grateful to you for is that you reach people with information, with inspiration, and you'll never know how many people's lives you've saved, but I guarantee you saved lots because you've inspired them to try things for themselves. And that's, I guess, is my message for everybody is once we learn some useful things, we can't keep them to ourselves. We've got to make some noise and change the world to the extent that we can. Oh, Neil, thank you so much. This is beautiful and so powerful. So thank you so much for sharing and I'm truly grateful. Thank you. Sure, right back at you. Thank you. I loved this conversation so much, specifically the stuff on hormones and cramps, because sometimes I do get cramps, not all the time, but it's for me, it's really related to stress. So I'm going to try some of the things he has recommended. And I hope you got a lot out of this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or in your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to email me in a screenshot of your review to hello at Melissa Ambrosini to get your wildly wealthy guided meditation as a little thank you gift from me. Also, come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I love reading them all and hearing what you guys get out of the show. And for everything that Neil and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 303. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I think every single human being could benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. (laughs) 